0: Good morning and welcome to Beyond the Headlines on CIUT 89.5. I'm your host, Hannah Lazarus. Beyond the Headlines is a weekly current affairs show that aims to make public policy discussions more accessible to you. We take you beyond the headlines of your daily news, giving you access to current leaders through in-depth interviews. You can join us in the conversation by tweeting at Beyond the Headlines. That's B Y O N D underscore Headlines. This year, France ran its first election since the start of the pandemic. The 2022 French election has taken a turn as both the pandemic and the war in Ukraine take a front seat in debates. This episode seeks to understand how this election is different from that of 2017, where like this year, Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen were both headed off for a face-off into the second round with the first ultimately winning. We are speaking to three guests. Dr. Lard Boswell, who will enlighten us on the French electoral process. Thomas Papernot, MA student at LSC, joining us to discuss public opinion and sentiment. And finally, journalist Lauren Chadwick, who will give us an overview of this election's highlights and challenges. Our first guest is Dr. Boswell, a historian of modern Europe, especially France, in the 19th and 20th century. His research interests focus on society and politics, ranging from the history of European socialism and communism, the history of nationalism, voter behavior, and more recently to the contemporary extreme right. In addition, he has directed the University of Wisconsin's Center for European Studies. Thank you for joining
1: us today. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So we've got a few questions for you on the French electoral system. So to start us off, could you explain how the French electoral system works?
1: It's a, for the presidential election, it's a two-round system. So in the first round, you can have any number of candidates. I think in this election, I, I counted at some point, but I forgot. There may have been eight to 12 candidates on the first round. And to run for president, you need to gather the signatures of 500 elected officials. That's a requirement. And political parties might run primaries, but they don't do so typically in a way that American political parties might. So on the first first round, people typically vote their preference, right? Whatever their preference might be. And only the two top parties or the two top individuals, candidates, make it to the second round. So in this case, in this recent election, uh, Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen were the two top vote getters, and they made it to the second round. Marine Le Pen by a by a very thin margin, but she made it.
0: And can you tell us when was when was the last time there was an electoral reform in France?
1: It was in 2000 and 2002. So in 2000, what they did is they changed the length of the. Uh, Of the presidential term from seven years to five years. When de Gaulle first set up the Fifth Republic, the presidential term was a seven-year term. They changed it to five years because they thought it was too long. There were lots of other reasons in the year 2000. And about two years later, what they did is they changed the, so it's not really, it's sort of an electoral reform. What they did is they decided that parliamentary elections would follow presidential elections so, and this is what we're having this year, right? Presidential elections just took place, and two months later, you're going to have parliamentary elections. And the reason they did this was before the parliamentary elections could take place in the middle of the president's term, for example. The reason they did this was to, it. it what it did is it reinforced the presidential nature of the regime. And they did this because in the 1990s, there had been a number of episodes known as cohabitation, where you had a president, say, François Mitterrand, who was a socialist, who had to work, who had a parliamentary majority that was a conservative majority, and thus yet appoint a conservative prime minister. And that created a lot of tensions. Whereas here, the idea, and it's worked out this way so far, is that if once a president is elected, he has some legitimacy and that legitimacy carries on into the parliamentary elections. And typically he also wins the parliamentary elections and thus has a parliament that is willing to, you know, move along with him. Right. So those are the two most recent reforms in you know, French elections.
0: Mm-hmm, thank you. So how would you say a two round election impacts voter turnout as opposed to what we have in North America?
1: You know, voter turnout, uh, it's hard to tell. In the last two presidential elections, turnout has been actually lower on the second round. So you have more abstentions on the second round than on the first, in part because, you know, saying this most recent election, some voters felt that it they really didn't have a choice between Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen. But there, was, there wasn't there was a candidate there, say a left-wing candidate, who sort of represented what they might be interested in, and thus they just didn't go vote. There isn't a huge difference. Typically, the difference is about 2%. You, you either have, in the last two elections, you've had fewer people go to the polls on the second round, but it could be the opposite. It depends on the election.
0: So would you say there's more or less strategic voting in the first or the second round?
1: In the first, you know, I'm generalizing in the first. So you take this most recent election, right? There was a left-wing candidate who almost made it to the second round, whose name is Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who runs for a party called La France Insoumise. And uh, Mélenchon did very, very well, better than anybody expected, in part because other left-wing voters who typically voted on the left, say for the Socialist Party or for the Greens, or even for the Communist Party, when they saw that their candidates were doing really badly in the polls, they decided to vote for Mélenchon to try to create some kind of momentum so there would be a left-wing candidate on the ballot on the second round and not nothing to Pen. So that's a really good example of strategic voting. And they almost made it.
0: That's really interesting. It would have been quite nice to see uh, a left-leaning party uh, right there on the second round.
1: Right, except we have a remake of what happened five years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Though there was a bit of a, a difference, and we saw Le Pen take way more of the voter share than, and, and Macron kind of losing some of the voter share compared to two th- 2017.
1: Yeah, so I think that, you know, and, and we can talk more about this, Macron, you know, he got 58 58- 0.5% of the vote, which is really good. He got 66%, I think, five years ago. He's been in power for five years. It stands to reason that his popularity would decline. So she did better, and we can talk more about that by seven points, but she didn't do that, that much better, I'd say. I mean, people can, can debate about that. There's still almost an 18-point range between the two of them, which is significant though one could argue it's still disturbing to see the national front at such a high level.
0: Once again, that was Dr. Boswell. We will continue our discussion with Tamapa Papernouf, but first, this week, our host radio station CIUT 89.5 FM, which is housed within the University of Toronto and is Canada's largest community radio, is hosting its celebrating 35-year fundraising drive. Beyond the Headlines is incredibly lucky for the opportunity to air on CIUT every Monday. But we need your support to continue providing you with policy oriented content. Any donation you can give will go towards supporting high quality community radio. You can donate online anytime at www.ciut.fm. Welcome back to Beyond the Headlines. Remember, you can join us in the conversation by tweeting at us on Twitter at beyond underscore headlines. Hello,
2: Thomas. How are you doing?
3: I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Of course, it's a pleasure talking to you. So we wanted to talk about the French election today. And starting us off, I'd like to see what you think about this election and how has it captured the attention of the public?
3: So I think this election had captured uh, less attention of the public than the previous one, particularly because of the international context with the war in Ukraine, And also another factor was the fact that there were a lot of similar candidates that were predicted to win. And so I think it created a sentiment of a feeling that it won't change anything to vote and a feeling in the French population of democratic fatigue. But on the other hand, we have seen like different changes in the population's uh, Lice, for example, the increase in ga- gas prices uh, meant that like, people uh, had more concerns, for example, on per- purchasing power and issues like being able to confront the inflation.
0: So that would mean people were probably less likely to vote than 2017. Are you, do you think you would be, or people your age group would be less likely to vote?
3: Well, I think the the problem is that we didn't really see an a concrete different political projects that the one that were proposed beforehand. I think in 2017, Macron emerged as the person who like was not coming from a mainstream party and who was proposing an alternative to all the other programs. And this year it was Quite dissimilar, like projects than the previous ones.
0: Are you surprised then that Macron and Le Pen both are going to the second round? Did you expect the pandemic and possibly the conflict in Ukraine to impact voters differently, given that we're getting the same result as to? I wasn't.
3: I, I wasn't really surprised by Macron's and Le Pen's win in the first round because it was mainly predicted in the polls, and it wasn't really a big surprise. Both were well-placed in the polls, except at the beginning of the campaigns where we had differences in the polls between the right the right candidates, between the one Zemmour, Pécresse, and Le Pen, and we didn't really have a surprise. But in the recent weeks, it was clear that Marine Le Pen would win the, the first round. What I was most surprised by at the during the night of the the first round results was the scores that the former mainstreams party got for example the socialist party got one percent which is extremely low and also means that they can cannot get any funding from the state to fund their campaigns now Concerning the the pandemic and the conflict in Ukraine and how it impacted the voters' behavior, I think on the one hand, the conflict in Ukraine changed uh, the population's mindsets on the role of France, for example, in international organizations such as the EU and NATO. The the role of France in NATO was quite present in, in the political campaign this year. And it also influenced, I would say, some people who were tending to vote at the far right for the far right parties because they had like ambiguous relationships with Putin. Now, I think on the other hand, your question about the pandemic and how it impacted the voters' behavior, I think it highlighted some institutional issues with the uh, we saw that the decisions taking about how to handle the pandemics were very centralized in Paris, and many provinces felt disempowered as to what to do about the pandemic and how to deal with it. And Macron was sort of like presented himself as a chief going to war, and this amplified the sentiment that the population's minds were not really taking into account in the president's decision and amplified the sentiment of democratic fatigue.
0: Okay, so we did see a lot of, as you said, democratic fatigue, voters being unsure, um, not necessarily supporting Macron, particularly because he didn't campaign till very late in the election. Do you think all of this is going to affect his approval ratings in the future? And how will he potentially be able to deal with that?
3: Well, I do think he will not be able to govern as easily as he did in his previous mandates, because we we clearly see a division of opinions. And uh, I do not think that in the second round, he will have such a, a large win as he did in 2017. And I think probably he he will have difficulties with this like democratic fra- fracture in France. I think French populate, the French population expects some institutional measures to give them more power in terms of decision making
0: All right, awesome, thank you. Moving on a little bit, We saw a lot of comments from different sources in the figure that were noting that purchasing power and immigrations were the most salient issues for voters this election. It's what they wanted to hear about and talk about. Do you kind of agree with that? Was that also a salient issue for you? Is that what you were looking at, especially coming off of, you mentioned the issue with inflation and gas prices going on.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I think one issue that was a little bit forgotten in the presidential campaign was the idea of social justice and the ideas that there are a little bit two Frances. On the one hand, we have France with the people living in the metropolitan cities, and in the other hand, on the other hand, we have the population living in the in the campaigns. And what we see is that there is a sort of fracture that needs to be solved uh, in the next mandate. And I think that's like an issue that wasn't really addressed and now the issues i'm considering for this year are probably the role of france in europe mainly and because of the situation in ukraine i do think that the role of france uh, is uh, that france will appear as a stronger nation in the world if it acts collectively with the european union
0: Did we see many conversations about climate change as elections are going forward In Canada's recently put forth a new budget? We're talking about climate change and climate change mitigation policy. Do you think that was a subject that we talked about in this election or something that we should have maybe heard more about?
3: I think climate change was the main topic that was absent from the political campaign. We see now after the first round that Macron is trying to sort of palliate this absence of climate change because it's such an important issue, particularly for young generations. And he's trying to attract them with uh, more concrete measures about climate change. I think the recent IPCC assessment report on climate change was also something that the media and the political candidates did not really talk about and they didn't really talk about like the solutions that they could provide to the climate change issues
0: all right so climate change kind of acted as a bit of a forgotten issue and so i have um a bit of a last question for you uh did you vote in the first round of the election and do you think voters in your age group were incentivized to vote
3: I did vote in the first round of the election, but I'm not sure the younger generations was attracted to voting because I think it, it was like mainly the, main, the, the similar candidates as in 2017, and it created the sentiment that there wasn't really a new uh, project standing out of all the political parties.
0: All right, well, thank you very much. It's been an insightful conversation.
3: Thank you so much.
0: Once again, that was Tamapa Papernod with the London School of Economics. In our next segment, we are speaking to Lauren Chadwick. Lauren is a multimedia journalist at Euronews with a track record of deep reporting and impactful television with NMSC and the Centre for Public Integrity. Currently based in Lyon, France, she covered the 2022 election for Euronews. So hi, Lauren. Hi. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. You're here to talk about the French election. Before we start, I'd love to have background about you. So where are you from? What do you work in?
2: I am a journalist at Euronews. I'm based in Lyon, France. I am from the United States. Originally, I've been living in France for three years now and studied French history at university.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you very much for coming on.
2: I'd like to start off by asking
0: you what would you say was the most important issue in this election so what was driving electoral discussions this year
2: well there were several important issues i think in this in this election season the biggest focus towards the end of the election was certainly on inflation and its influence on the cost of living for voters we saw in particular consumer prices Increased in France by about 4.5% in March, so the month ahead of the first round, which was held on April 10th. And this was driven up in particular by energy prices, which has been a huge concern concern for French voters, particularly in areas they are more rural where they rely on cars and for working class households. So we saw that this as consistently a major concern to French voters and definitely played a big role towards towards the end of the campaign. This was related of course to the sanctions against Russia due to the war in Ukraine which from the end of February had a lot of media attention and definitely changed the campaign There were other big topics, I would say, for left-wing voters, in particular, the environment was, you know, remained an important topic, education, the role of Europe. And then, of course, in France, a, a big topic towards the end was retirement, with the French president coming out in favor of raising the retirement age to 65, kind of late in the game. So that was definitely something that was talked about significantly before the election. Okay, so you talked a little bit about inflation and purchasing powers. How did the candidates address
0: this in their platforms?
2: So this was something that particularly Marine Le Pen, who's the far-right candidate who made the second round, really focused her campaign on. She said she wanted to reduce the value-added tax on VAT, particularly on energy and a host of other kind of products to combat inflation. And the incumbent president kind of wanted to continue his current policy which has been to block the price of gas and provide support for vulnerable households. In the debate Macron pointed out that Le Pen and her party had voted voted against the measure to block prices. So it it was definitely played a big role in in their face off in the second round at the end of April.
0: How would you say Le Pen's strategy changed from 2017 to
2: this year's election? You know, it's been a, there's been, you know, really a long process for Le Pen in in widening her electoral appeal. You know, this... From excluding her father from the party in 2015 um, to renaming the party following her defeat in 2017, changing it from the National Front to the National Rally, she's really, you know, worked to bring her far right party into the mainstream. And increase her support at the national level. You know, she softened her stance on on some of the more controversial issues. Twenty seventeen, she wanted to hold a referendum on leaving the EU. Um, she wanted to ban dual nationality with non-European states. And in you know, in twenty twenty two, she abandoned the idea of leaving the EU. She didn't talk about dual nationality. She you know said she still she still did want to she still does want to ban you know Muslim women from wearing um, headscarves but she really you know in certain aspects tried to not talk about the issue and then you know she was better prepared in the debate but you know we still saw that at the end of the day the uh, French president was uh, really able to challenge her on her party's platform saying you know essentially Though she had kind of said she she no longer wanted to leave the EU, her platform, you know, essentially would take France out of the EU or would very much put it in, in conflict with the EU. Um, she wanted French law to kind of, you know, be above EU law and, you know, addressing those anti-immigration, kind of anti, you know, more uh, controversial aspects of her program mm-hmm. that she... Kind of tried to avoid for for a lot of uh the campaign
0: that's really interesting we also saw that marion Maréchal did not back um marine le pen in this year's election so just a bit of background for those who do not know marion Maréchal is le pen's niece who is also involved in politics and who considered moving her allegiance towards a and most party um so do you think that may be because of Le Pen's work to kind of soften her stance?
2: I think in part, uh, more certainly, you know, was the was kind of further right. But, you know, Le Pen remains a very far-right candidate, you know, remains steadfastly anti-immigration and and would have, you know, really tried to to change a lot of aspects of, of French society. And and she wanted to, you know, hold several uh, referenda on, on very controversial topics as well.
0: Well, it's going to be quite interesting, I guess, in the next election to see how that develops. Yes, absolutely. Did any of the candidates suggest alternative energies or transitions towards cleaner or more sustainable energy? I know that on our end in Canada, this is a topic we're talking a lot about, helping Europe and our NATO allies sort of transitioning away from dependence on Russian oil.
2: This is definitely something that came up in the, in the campaign, certainly in relation to the sanctions against Russia. Le Pen was less supportive of sanctions against Russia due to their impact on French voters and on on inflation. However, the the kind of most environmentally or kind of the candidates that were proposing a larger transition um, and were more focused on climate friendly policies were definitely uh, on the left. This Likely helps the far left candidate John Mélenchon, who's viewed as very strong on on climate and you know transitioning more to renewable energies. The you know investing in new technologies is a part of um, the incumbent president's platform, but his his program read it. It had maybe less substantive solutions, and he was. Really criticized by environmental activists for his program. Um, several analyses said it, it wasn't really up to par with some of the left-wing candidates, particularly Mélenchon and also the Greens candidate Yannick Jadot, who were more focused on you know limiting demand um, and really pushing renewables and moving France forward to kind of achieve its its greenhouse gas reduction goals.
0: All right. So we talked about climate inflation. You also mentioned France's place in Europe and Europe's role in France. Something I'm not hearing a lot about right now is immigration, which is something that was a great factor in the discussions we had in 2017 leading up to the election. So did we talk about it? Was it not as much as a
2: factor? What happened? In both elections, I think immigration you know, what was certainly a factor in 2017 you know when you look at the election the campaign happened in 2016 it followed you know the europe's large migration crisis with more than 1 million migrants arriving at europe's borders particularly due to the war in syria and so it did it did play a big role particularly then for right wing and far right candidates and that remained true Early on in the campaign in 2021 and then early 2022, immigration was kind of once again looking to be a key topic for candidates, particularly again on the right. I think this was in part due to the presence of a far-right TV pundit, Eric Samore, in the campaign. He received a lot of early media attention. And there, there was kind of more talk about immigration. The center-right traditional party Les Républicains and their candidate, Valérie Pécresse, was talking about immigration quotas. Uh, Zemmour was talking about bringing immigration down to zero with, you know, really inflammatory rhetoric around immigration. This, I think, you know, was then influenced by the war in Ukraine Really, you know, right before the election, you know, the same candidates were talking about bringing immigration down to zero. You know, then said that France should take in Ukrainian refugees. So, the war also, you know, shifted attention from the campaign, and you know, again made made the focus more on inflation and and cost of living. Mm-hmm. So we saw that both
0: Macron and Le Pen got a slightly larger share of voters than in 2017. Who do you think lost a share of the electorate? How did that redistribution happen this year?
2: I think that's true looking perhaps at the first round of the election. When we look at the second round where Macron faced off Pen, of course, Macron received around 2 million fewer votes than in the 2017 election, whereas Le Pen increased her vote share compared to five years ago. So Macron essentially won the election by a slimmer margin than in 2017. I think Le Pen uh, clearly benefited from you know, disappointment with the incumbent president. She likely benefited from presence of another far-right candidate, kind of the visible presence of of Zamor in the in the first round of the election, you know, which helped to make her more palatable to a wider electorate. And we I think we see this really in the score or the the share of the vote that she received in the second round in France's overseas territories, such as Guadeloupe and Martinique. These are places that voted for the far-left uh, Mélenchon candidate in the first round, who then voted for Le Pen in the second round by large margins. And you know many analysts see this as primarily an anti-Macron vote rather than kind of large endorsement of Le Pen. Do you think this sort of greater scale that far-right parties are getting right now is
0: going to impact how we are viewing these candidates in the future and maybe make them more palatable so as you mentioned and maybe you know so sure push towards a right or far or for right-leaning parties in future elections
2: you know certainly in France Le Pen has worked really for years to make herself more make her Far right party more mainstream, and to kind of soften her stance, she, you know, has has had this long process of kind of undemonizing the party, uh, really softening this party that was founded by her father. In, in 1972, she excluded her father from the party due to his comments on. You know, calling gas chambers uh, in the Holocaust a detail of history, comments for which she was fined in court. So, you know, she did make changes to bring her party into the mainstream. But, you know, at at, at its essence, a a lot of her program remained the same. So I think for many French voters, there was concern that that she increased her vote share and and what that means, you know, for the future of the far right in the country.
0: Mm -hmm. Great kind of keep going, you mentioned climate change a little. And so we'd like to hear about climate change and mitigation policy during elections. Would you say the electorate shown an interesting climate action plan by any of the candidates?
2: So I don't think climate was at the forefront of the election debate, which again, was really consumed by conversation of the economy, inflation, and certainly the war in Ukraine. And also, you know, France's role in Europe, and yet, you know, French voters have repeatedly said that the environment is, is a top concern for them. Prior to the campaign, environmental groups, you know, said there were really only two programs that proposed, you know, really in-depth solutions for, you know, the, to address the climate crisis. And these were the far left, uh, Mélenchon and the Greens candidate, Yannick Chadeau. In terms of the second round, I think there was disappointment for particularly left-wing voters who are concerned about the environment, really were looking for candidates that were going to propose, you know, in-depth solutions. You know, Macron has been repeatedly criticized for climate inaction. There was very little in his program on the environment, you know, throughout his five-year term, he was criticized for, you know, not integrating um, some of the proposals that came out of a citizen's convention on the climate. And then the far right, mind Le Pen, was really viewed by activists as largely worse on climate. She, you know, wanted to, to reduce support for wind power. She wanted to, to focus more on nuclear energy. which You know, France already uh, has uses for a large share of its electricity. Macron also, in his plan, want, you know, was focused on nuclear energy, which was a change from 2017 when he wanted to reduce nuclear energy. And, you know, so this discourse did change a bit between the first and second round, as you know, candidates attempted to woo essentially left wing voters in the second round, for instance, Macron said he would put his prime minister in charge of planning for, you know, an environmental transition.
0: All right. And so given all this, we saw that more than half of the votes went to candidates outside the political mainstream. And so outside the Republican and the Socialist Party who used to be figureheads of French politics, now kind of seem irrelevant or aren't gain- gaining important shares of voters. Why is that? What, what has happened for this to transition this way?
2: I think there's certainly a restructuring of political parties in, in France currently, and, and you know we'll, we'll really see how this plays out in the June legislative elections. In part, largely due to the French President Emmanuel Macron, who has taken, you know, some of the center left with him. He was a minister in the former Socialist government, and when he, you know, created his new movement, a lot of the center left, uh, largely, um, stuck with him. And and we see that this has really impacted the Socialist Party, that had a historically low kind of part of the vote share in in 2022 he likely also cut into the center right the republican party support in the first round already when when he came out with his program in the first round the republicans said that his program was was kind of that he had taken some of the measures that they had put forth, particularly on retirement, Macron said that he wanted to increase the retirement age to sixty-five, which is similar to to their their party line on it. But you know these these parties they they do still have a presence in French politics, particularly in the twenty twenty-one regional elections. They uh, they you know dominated the re- regional elections. Um, the center right party in particular dominated the Senate elections in in 2020, there, you know, there will be a restructuring of France's um, political parties and kind of remains to be seen how that how that works out in the parliament.
0: Great, thank you. And finally, a bit of a last question for you here. As someone who covered the French election, I was wondering what stuck out to you the most this time around and what you thought was lacking?
2: I think it was very interesting to listen to voters and what they think about France's system and, and what they think needs to change. I spoke to a lot of voters on the left, on the right, um, as well as young people who decided not to vote. I think there are concerns that the system, you know, doesn't represent young voters. For for a lot of them, a lot of the young voters who aren't aren't who you know didn't show up to the polls said that they didn't want to vote strategically. They didn't want to choose one candidate. Over, over the other, that both candidates for them w- were not representative of their views. Many left-wing voters felt like they didn't have a choice in the second round of the election. And, you know, other young voters said that they d- didn't feel like they trusted politicians. So there's, a, you know, a lot of talk about you know, the state of political engagement in France and and how to make the population feel like they can be more engaged in in the political discussion and people kind of see in the years to come uh, how the president reacts to that.
0: Mm -hmm. A lot to think about. So thank you very much, Lauren, for this discussion. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Now let's welcome back Dr. Boswell for a few more questions. Mm Mm-hmm. What would you say were the major stakes discussed in the 2017 election? And did we see a return of these major themes in 2021, 2022 election?
1: Yes and no. I I think what, what makes the comparison difficult is that this year we had the Ukraine, right? And the war in the Ukraine, Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th, which is more or less right at the time when the French presidential campaign was kicking off it started up in January but it really started taking shape in February and March and so the campaign there was less there was less discussion of the campaign because Ukraine was all over the news right and that really changed things i think considerably if you want to compare the two elections you know i think in 2017 first of all you didn't have an outgoing president on the ballot because Francois Hollande had decided not to run because he probably thought he was going to be defeated. Unemployment was a big issue five years ago, whereas unemployment has gone down substantially. Under Macron, it may not be his doing, but he's benefited from a decline in unemployment. So that wasn't a big issue this year. It was five years ago. And there were some things that were more of an issue this five years ago than this year, notably the euro. Marine Le Pen in 2017 wanted to back out of the euro, pull out of the euro, the common currency, and she was roundly criticized for this. And it probably contributed to her relatively to her inability to do better on the second round. There are a lot of people who said may have thought, well, we would like some of the things that you know she's proposing, but you know pulling out of the euro is just too extreme, and so she she moved away from that. So that's a very significant. Difference. The campaign this year was, was interesting because there was there was virtually no mention of unemployment, but a lot of discussion of the cost of living, high gas prices, high prices because of global supply chain supply chain issues, a lot of discussion of the retirement age, right? Because there's been a, a reform. It's been proposed by Macron, and there's been a tremendous amount of opposition to changing the retirement age. And Europe was less, Macron ran as a pro-European, but he was basically the only candidate who ran on a pro-European platform, which was somewhat surprising. So those are some of the key differences between the two campaigns. But what really changed the, the nature of the campaign, at least initially this year, was the Ukraine. Whether it changed how people voted or not is much harder to tell, but it, it occupied a lot of bandwidth. Uh, that's pretty clear. So
0: we touched a bit on this earlier, but the 2017 and then 2021 election showed a rise in the number of extreme right candidates. Do you think this is a trend we might be seeing more of in French politics in the future?
1: That's hard to say. I mean, there was a, there always, there have historically been, additional extreme right-wing candidates who've tried to, at least to get on the ballot in part because the way the it's it's now called the rassemblement national the national rally it used to be the front national the the national front it's exactly the same party has tried to change its name to look better but there are always dissidents in that party because they they don't like the the grip that you know at first, the father had on the party, Jean-Marie Le Pen, and now that the daughter has on the party. So they try to declare their independence, and they leave the party, and they try to run and for president, and they usually don't get anywhere. This year, there was a candidate whose name was Éric Zemmour, who started off doing extremely well in the polls, who's a right-wing candidate, who's not uh, somebody who came from the national front. That's really important. He made his, he's a right-wing journalist, sort of a you know french version of Tucker Carlson you might say who made his reputation on C news which was a sort of the French equivalent of Fox news he also wrote for a french daily called le figaro and he took much more extreme positions than Marine Le Pen. And he actually made her look moderate during the campaign, which was really, and she benefited from that. At first, it was thought that she, he might lead her in the polls, but that turned out not to be true. Whether he survives politically or not is hard to tell. Uh, but, you know, it, it's very clear that the political spectrum in France, as in a lot of other European countries, has shifted somewhat to the right and to the extreme right. And thus, it stands to reason that you'd have more candidates showing up on the extreme right.
0: So do you think the rebranding that was done to make the now Rassemblement National more appealing to voters was successful?
1: Marine Le Pen and the Front National have pursued, the Rassemblement National now have pursued a uh, campaign of what's called de-demonization. The French call it de-diabolisation, which is a wonderful word, to make the the party seemed more normal, less frightening, right? So they've tried to, to sort of cover up some of the most extreme proposals that the, that the party has. And there are ways in which it was successful in her campaign. So in her campaign before the second round, for example, Marine Le Pen was uh, very extremely careful about what she said. She ran her campaign. Her campaign posters never mentioned the word Le Pen because that would associate her with her father who she wants people to consider more extreme, right? It was only her first name, Marine. She was running as Marine. She campaigned only in small towns and in the countryside where she wouldn't meet hecklers and opposition. And she tried to smooth over the hardline parts of her program or not talk about them. So in that way, it did seem like it was successful, but after the first round, you know, then in the second round, there are only two candidates. So there was a lot more attention that was being paid to her as opposed to all the other candidates. And she did less well between the two rounds because people started asking her. There were more questions. She was more in the news and people started asking whether, in fact, this party was more, you know, normalized. Right. In in some way, de-demonized. Right. And she got herself into She got herself into trouble because she started talking about reestablishing the death penalty, right? And then she had to pull back. And then she proposed that women in public spaces not be allowed to wear a veil in public. And that created a huge stir. And she was asked, she has a long friendship, one might say, or a long, you know, she's had a long relationship with Vladimir Putin and her campaign, Some of her political, her party's political campaigns have been financed by a bank that's closely associated with Putin. And after the invasion of Ukraine, she tried to pull back on that somewhat. But between the two rounds, she held a press conference on foreign policy where she said, well, once peace is achieved in Ukraine, we have to reestablish a strategic relationship with Russia, right, and with Putin. And so there are all sorts of ways where between the two rounds, when she should have been trying to sort of reinforce her rebranding, right, as a less frightening candidate, she sort of put the emphasis on things that some people were, thought were disturbing, right? And I think that probably hurt her.
0: Do you think that Marine Le Pen maybe pushed out of leadership as this is her second round, second time going up against Mike Cohen losing?
1: Yeah, and it's her third time in a row running for president and losing. The first time in 2012, she didn't make it to the second round. That's a good question. You know, it depends how you, you look at it. On the one hand, making it to the second round and getting up to close to, you know, 42%, 41.4% of the vote on the second round is quite an achievement. On the other hand, she has lost three times, and there are people in the party who, in her party, who may want to see her pushed aside. So during the campaign, she sort of resigned as, I I forget what the exact title is, but as president of her party, as president of the Rassemblement National. And I don't think she's going to go back after the campaign to, to being president of the party. She'll sort of try to stay on the, si- on the side, not on the sidelines, but not be involved in the party so much as a way of trying to disassociate herself from it. Right. And that might help. But I think there, if she steps back, there are people who are ready to step up. Let me put it that way. There's especially a very young politician whose name is Jordan Bardeda, who comes from a working class neighborhood north of Paris, who's, who's running the party right now, who, you know, would be in a good position to take over. So there's no lack of people in, in the party who would want to take over. The big question about this party is, is it a, a sort of a personalized party that was tailor-made for her father and tailor-made for her? So is it a party of de Le Pen, right? And can it survive after they go? And that's really the big question.
0: Mm-hmm. And so kind of moving on, as the June election is approaching, do you believe that there's a chance Michael will lose the majority that he currently has in the National Assembly?
1: There's a possibility politics is full of surprises. So, yeah, there is a chance that he could lose his majority. He'll certainly have a much smaller majority than he had five years ago. That's pretty clear. And so he'll have to, it's going to be a more complicated landscape for him. You know, lose his majority means that there, there are two other sort of voter, two other key groups that are running against him in the parliamentary elections. There'll be the Front National, And then there'll be a group around Jean-Luc Mélenchon. The left is going to run, in large part, common candidates. But it's unclear whether it's unlikely that either of them alone would have a majority. And so if the parliament is split into three, into three groups of equal strength, let's suppose, right, it, it will make things very complicated. But I don't see any one party getting a majority. Macron's party might be able to get a majority, but no, I don't see any other one party being able to get a majority at this point.
0: So we're potentially seeing maybe a three-way or a two-way split in the National Assembly. This will evidently impact his term. Do you think it'll slow down policy objectives, maybe change his agenda?
3: Yeah,
1: if he doesn't have a parliamentary majority, he's going to be in trouble. Typically, the president in France has control over foreign policy and national defense. And so that's that's an area where, where parliament, it's harder for parliament to get involved. That's considered sort of a reserved territory of the president in some way. But the prime minister whose confidence comes from, who represents parliament, is the, the, there's a vote of confidence, right? Represents the majority in parliament. The prime minister conducts domestic policy. So if Macron doesn't have a majority, He's going to have a prime minister who may not be in line with his views, right? And there's going to be, obviously, some kind of conflict. And there might be something akin to what we saw in the 1990s, which is cohabitation. So it, it will make his domestic agenda difficult, if not impossible, because this new majority might have a different agenda that it wants to put on the table.
0: Given by how small of a margin Marine Le Pen was able to pass on to the second round, do you think we'll be seeing more of Mélenchon as an interesting challenger in the next election and possibly getting towards that second round?
1: Well, he's 70 years old, right? So in the next presidential election, he'll be 75. You know, the president of the United States is older than that. So I guess anything is possible right now. For the parliamentary elections, he's running on a the, the posters for the parliamentary elections said, say Mélenchon president. Uh, no, Mélenchon Prime Minister. So you're voting right for Mélenchon in order to have him become prime minister. That's his objective right now. I think it's unlikely, but he's trying to get a lot of support for that. You know, the problem that Mélenchon has is he did he did very well. In part because voters from other left-wing parties voted for him in the hope that there'd be a left-wing candidate on the ballot. But these are people who are pretty divided about all sorts of issues. Notably, the number one issue they're divided about is Europe. Uh the second issue there, so Mélenchon is sort of a Eurosceptic, skeptic, right? Whereas former socialists and the Greens are not. They're divided about Putin. Mélenchon has long had a favorable opinion of Putin. He's had to you know, roll it back pretty quickly. Whereas the Greens and the Socialists have been, you know, more circumspect or more opposed to Putin. There's a long road ahead. But he may run for president again in five years. It's, it's you know, too early to tell, I think. What one can tell is that the French left finds itself in a very difficult situation. The Socialist Party has essentially collapsed, right? The two, the key, one of the key developments that this election Sort of highlighted, and it was beginning to be clear five years ago: is that the two parties who were at the center of French politics for the seventies, eighties, from you know for a fifty-year period from nineteen seventy on, the Socialist Party and sort of a sort of a center, big center-right party, they both collapsed. They're both gone. Right, the center-right in this election didn't even get five percent of the vote. It was a party called the Republicans. And so who's going to take up that void, that vacuum, right? The only well-established political party in France now is the the national rally, uh, is Marine Le Pen's party. Macron's political party just wakes up at election time, right? It's not a real political party in that sense. But the French left has a lot of rebuilding to do under, I think, pretty difficult circumstances because the the dynamic the political dynamic has really has been for the past you know 10 years if not more on the side of the extreme right
0: are there any other political figures that could step up to take leadership of Mélenchon's party Mm -hmm. and finally what finally what, what should we be watching out for in french politics in the coming months
1: mainly the result of the parliamentary election. You know, if Macron and his allied parties manage to squeeze out a ma- uh, majority or have a semi-comfortable majority, then Macron may be able to, you know, pursue some of his policies, though he'll he's going to run into a lot of opposition. Depending on what he tries to do, he's going to run into opposition, you know, from the streets, which is pretty typical in France, or he might run into something akin to the yellow vest movement that we saw a couple of years ago. If he doesn't have a comfortable majority, then if he doesn't have a majority at all, then things will likely get very complicated and there'll be a period of domestic instability, at least for a year, or a year and a half until Macron can call for new elections. If Macron has some kind of a majority, he has promised to sort of Pursue a reform, a retirement age reform, which is extremely controversial in France. So that will likely elicit uh, a lot of opposition. He wants to raise the retirement age to uh, 65. uh, And that's going to elicit a lot of opposition.
0: Well, that's really interesting. Thank you for taking the time to speak to me, Dr. Boswell.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Once again, that was Dr. Boswell. You've been listening to Beyond the Headlines on CIUT 89.5 FM. Many thanks to our guests for joining our episode on the French election. Today's show was produced by Anna Lazarus. The view expressed on the show do not necessarily reflect the views of the producers, CIUT, or the Moscow School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. If you missed any part of the show, be sure to check out podcasts of all our episodes on our website at www.beyondtheheadlines.net, as well as on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you're a fan of the show or want to stay up to date with policy issues in Canada, follow us on Twitter at beyond underscore headlines. You can also check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Be sure to tune in next week as we continue to take public policy discussions out of the hallway and onto the airways.